Hello there and welcome back into the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam Hind. I'm your host and I am going to be introducing you today to the amazing Andrew Griffiths. Andrew Griffiths is a 13 times best-selling author, has just released his 14th book. He is an entrepreneurial futurist a world-traveled keynote speaker. He's spoken to some incredible brands and businesses all over the globe, uh, showing businesses, business owners, and entrepreneurs how to future-proof themselves. And he's going to be joining us on our podcast today to talk all about building credibility in your business, how to charge what you're worth, most importantly, how to value yourself and he's going to speak. We're going to have a really great laugh and speak into you know his latest book and his journey along the way. Andrew's come from some humble beginnings and his story is an amazing one. So if you are someone who's in business right now and you are currently battling that feeling of, I'm not worth it. I can't charge more than I'm charging. People don't want to buy from me. I don't have experience. You have got to listen in to Andrew today. Uh, he is going to speak some confidence into you, some courage into you, and most importantly, give you some pearls of wisdom to help you on your journey to make sure that you achieve all of the success that you so deserve right now. So, with all of that said, I'm going to hand over to the interview, let you guys listen on in, grab your pen and paper as always, because he drops a ton of golden nuggets in this chat. So have some fun, enjoy, and tune on in. Have a great old listen to Andrew Griffiths. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Selling Accelerator podcast. My name is Sam and I'm joined today by Andrew Griffiths. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm super excited to be chatting with you today, Andrew. Absolutely lovely to be here. Looking forward to having a decent rave. Well, and on top of that, this is super cool for me. Um, I'm talking to a fellow Tasmanian, which is quite unusual. You're at the other end of the state. I know. So we're almost... Next door. <laughs> if I yell out the window, you'll probably hear me, right? It's only a, for us in Australia, though, two, a two and a half hour, two hour drive, that's nothing. We really are neighbors. No, it's nothing. You know? yeah. It's nothing. And we're, we're so excited by this concept, we're going to catch up <laughs> coffee on Monday, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, I'm really excited by this. I have got some some pretty hefty questions I want to throw at you today. Before I go down that road, Andrew, do you want to tell our audience a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So, so today, uh, who am I? I? I'm a business author. Uh, I've written 14 best-selling books now, sold around the world, mainly around the topic of doing business, how to do business better. So I've written books on everything from marketing to customer service to how to charge more, all those different types of things. I also do a lot of speaking uh, as well. So speaking around the same uh, kind of topics there. And, and that's been fabulous. I've been doing this for uh, 30 odd years, I guess, now in one shape or another. Um, delivered about 750 presentations everywhere from Iran to Mexico to um, to Japan, England, all over the the place as well. So I've kind of been doing what I'm doing for a long time. Some days it feels like it, um, some days not so much. 
So, Andrew, I'm really keen to hear a little bit about that transition for you because you have, uh, you know, you've been in business, you've written business books, um, you've been a speaker, uh, also an entrepreneurial futurist. Did I get that right? You did. I know. I can barely say the word myself, you know. I know. (laughs) It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Tell us what that means just really quickly because yeah, sure. I want to dive in there a little bit. Sure. It's about future-proofing. So what I really say is I kind of work with people of substance to help them build businesses of substance. But when it comes mm. to future-proofing, uh, I get called in by organisations, um, for example, the European Union, got me to go to the UK to talk to 1,700 small business owners about how to deal with Brexit. That's the kind of thing. So I'm all about um, future-proofing individuals, so how to help you yep. become better in your business, um, industries, uh, the mass participation sporting industry flew me to Singapore to talk to them about what does their industry need to do to still be here in 10 years, um, mm-hmm. companies, uh, things like that. So it's it really, Sam, a lot of it is me just, uh, I guess, the stuff that I've been doing for many years is teaching that to others. I've been around, I've been yep. successful in business for a very long time. So like, what have I done to be future-proofed? I share that with others through my books, through my speaking, etc. So the entrepreneurial futurist is a title that seems to capture it the best. Yeah, it's a cool title. I love it. I like it. And uh, along that lines, I want to ask you a question mm. about that. Um, so what I would love to know from you, Andrew, is um, when it comes to uh, entrepreneurs and business, like we've seen such a shift over the last 10 years, five years, two years. Mm. But I want to go back. I mean, you've been in this uh, industry for such a long time, working, when when I say that, I mean working with business people and entrepreneurs um, and advising, you know, um, future-proofing, all of those things. So I'd love to know your opinion on this. Is it easier or harder to be an entrepreneur or be in business now than it was, say, 20 years ago before we had the big digital shift? Mm. It's a great question and and it's a complicated question, I think, in some respects. Is it easier to be in business? It's easier to get in business. You know, Mm. when you think about it now, there's no, uh, I mean, you start a business on a credit card. If you can can sign up to a platform, you can be selling stuff uh, on a reselling platform. Uh, I mean, the definition of business has got much broader. 20 years ago, I bought my first business when I was 17, so about 12,000 years ago, and, and then it was really your options <laughs> were bricks and mortar. You, you had to yeah. have a presence. You had, to have a, um, you had to have a business place. So when you think about yeah. it, there was a much bigger buy-in for you to, to actually have a business. So that kind of angle, the barrier to get in has got easier, and that's good and bad. Yeah. That means it's easier for us to be, become an entrepreneur. But in terms of complexity, I think when I first got into business all those years ago, whether it was my business or when I started advising people, we used to think it was really complicated then, all right? But, you know, now I look at it and I feel that it's far more co- it's far more complex, yeah. but it's also far easier in, in, in the same vein. It was really hard 20 years ago to, to get a market. You had to spend a lot of money on advertising, yeah. right? You had to spend a lot of money in newspapers and TV ads and radio ads and stuff like that. To try yeah, it was really the only way, that wasn't was it? it? Letterbox letter drops. Yeah. You know, whereas now, yeah. <laughs> of course, we've got, you know, paid advertising, search, we've got all these other kind of elements. Yeah. So I get asked the question a lot, is it easier or is it harder now to do business? I, I, I think that in many respects, it's the same. It's just that we've got different 
different names, different product, different tools, different things. But the one thing that has definitely changed is the competitive nature um, of yep. the world. It is so competitive now. And of course, yeah. it's not just competitive, like how many entrepreneurial futurists are there? It, it, it's, it's competitive on the space of where do, where do you spend your money as a business owner? In one of my books, in one of the 10,000 other books in, in yeah. someone's coaching. So the competitive nature has got phenomenal. And, and it, mm. you know, but again, the upside being if you're great at what you do, if you're freaking amazing at what you do, people can find you. Whereas before, yeah. it was also geographically based. Sam, wherever yeah. you ran your business, my first business was a dive shop. Everyone who wanted to go diving and lived in that area came diving with me. So it, yeah. it was just, it was an, it was, it was a natural kind. You picked up people because of where you were rather than yeah. your ability to be good at what you did. So in a very long-winded way, I think it kind of cancels itself out um, yeah. in, in terms of is it easier, is it harder? It's different. It's different. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I completely hear you. Now, I want to hear about the dive shop thing for just a moment. Your very first business, Bricks and Mortar Dive Shop. Mm. Did you just say you were 17 when you started mm -hmm. your first business? I bought a business. I bought a dive shop, yeah. When I was mm -hmm. thirty kilometers from the ocean, now the, the, I was. The, yeah, the, I remember you mentioning <laughs> this. How how do you how, explain? Well, it was it was a funny time, right? Like I, I'd been a diver. I, I I'd got some qualifications as a diver at a young age. I always wanted to be a marine biologist. I had this vision of you know riding humpback whales around the ocean and <laughs> you know doing all of that kind of stuff. And then I went to, to university very very briefly. And I realized that I'd mm. spend most of my life looking through a microscope at, at a, you know, the, a, a tissue sample of a whale's testicle, probably. Um, and I'd be in a white coat cold in a lab all the time. And I realized that's not what I wanted. What I really loved was being in the ocean and diving. Yep. And so yep. I, I had moved around a lot. I ended up getting a part-time job in a dive shop in Sydney. And the owner wanted to sell. And it was in the 80s. And it was a time when you walk into a bank and you said, hey, I need 30 grand or whatever I needed. And I walked out with a check and I was paying 24% interest on the loan. So just, wow. just ridiculous kind of amounts. But, <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. I, I knew how to blow bubbles. That was it. So all I did was yeah. run the business the same way as the guy who I bought it from. And he had no idea. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, all we needed were a couple of Labradors to, to, to lead us around because it was a blind leading the blind um, in that <laughs> side of it. But it was a great learning lesson. It was the first mm -hmm. couple of years, it was dismal failure because I had no yeah. idea. And, and I really had a, I had a poverty mentality. Um, the yeah. owner of the shop had a poverty mentality. We, we, I didn't understand things like profit margins. I didn't understand sales. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't understand any of that stuff. So I made all of the ridiculous mistakes that you make. And and then I yep. then I, I started to learn and I started to be less eighteen year old and bulletproof and I, I was very lucky. I had a couple of nice mentors around me who could see through my boisterous kind of nature and give me advice. Things like Andrew, you've yeah. got to you know spend less than you earn. You know those those pivotal <laughs> kind of really just really simple like, things. <laughs> seriously, how, how, how do I do what? that? Okay, you earned a hundred dollars today. You can't spend a hundred and ten. Really? Okay. <laughs> or probably not even the hundred, but we'll we'll get e to that e exactly. Yeah. So um so, but it was a great grounding. It's very interesting for me yeah. because I, I developed a passion then for 
personal growth and development. And I'd had a very mm-hmm. unusual childhood. I grew up as an orphan and um, had a lot of violence and lived in and out of institutions as a kid. So, mm-hmm. so I had a bit of that, a lot of that baggage to kind of take with me. Um, so in, again, I, I started to, a great friend at the time, I didn't realize how good a friend probably until later, um, bought me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yep. And he said, you need to read yeah. this book. So I, was, I was just just busily, and and I didn't set this up, but I um I was just busily. I don't know if you can see that. I, I love camera. it. I've I've got I've got that book on my desk as uh, it being one of one of my favourite books of all time. So it's a um very just serendipitous. A flip every day, mm-hmm. it just gives me a snippet out of the book. Uh, I won't lie. My husband bought it for me because he felt that it was important that I have a daily reminder. <laughs> I, I was I was going to say this. There's a very subtle. Kind of hint there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, it's also a book that we have as a form of um, uh, uh, educational punishment forced our children to read as well at times. <laughs> um, but sorry, yeah, continue. Just, Someone yeah. bought you the book. It's a, yeah. it's a great book. And, and I mean, I, um, you know, I, I was teaching diving. I was commercial diver as well. So I was recovering boats and doing some commercial dive work. But but also I was young, you know, I was a kid, yeah. and and I I don't think I quite realised the significance of what I was doing. It all sounds very nice, you know, teach diving, do all that stuff. But of course, I had people's lives in my hands, and you're diving in Sydney, which is cold and wet and murky, and not as not like the Great Barrier Reef. And and I think I needed to. I, I grew up quite quickly in a different way. Yeah. I kind of found a sense of belonging. Because before mm-hmm. that, I had gone down the alcohol and drugs path and, you know, um, couch surfing at a very young age. And, and it was a very predictable path of kids that go through that life, stealing cars, doing drugs, doing all of that stuff. But finding the, the – when I managed to buy this business, it gave me a real sense of purpose, Sam. And, and yeah. people respected me because I was young and I bought a business and I think I started to respect myself more a, yeah, as a result absolutely. of that um and it was wonderful yeah. so i i was a horrendous business owner you know like realistically it, it was like i was a, i was a train wreck but i was smart enough to learn and i, I was smart enough yeah. to take advice from that like uh, one thing that would happen back in those days of course we use checks for everything and every day <laughs> my bank manager would come by on his way to work and drop off the checks that i'd bounced the day before you know, and and, cause, and just and you bounced these ones yesterday, Andrew. Every morning, it's like, yeah. and he would sit down and give me, okay, let's talk about profitability. Let's talk <laughs> about this. And you can't bounce checks. What? I don't yeah. understand. I thought if I just wrote them out, they would be cashed forever. And he said there needs to be money in the account. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> really? Okay. What's this account that you talk about? So, anyway. and the, I guess there's a, a difference now. I mean, people do the same thing, but they're using credit line rather than checks. You know, it's 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 never been easier to get credit, and even things like Afterpay, etc., uh, which you can get so caught out with. Um, uh, just that that constant. Okay, if I need something, I'll deal with it later. I'll just you know, and I'll I'll admit, Andrew, it was probably one of the biggest hardest lessons I also learned. And I was super lucky to have some amazing mentors around me as well, which is actually something I want to talk to you about quickly because mm. um, it really strikes me as um, incredible that you had the upbringing that you had, the influence that you had because, you know, when you when you have 
you know, kids that grow up without, you know, watch, having parents to watch that have sort of given them that, mm. I guess, education through observation, the fact that you've gone into business and you've, you know, you've had a couple of rough years, you know, vast majority of people would have quit by then for mm -hmm. sure, no question. The fact that you were mature enough to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to knuckle down. Um, you talked about the respect side of things and the fact that you were able to start respecting yourself. But what I love is that you place some people around you, whether you did it intentionally or not. The mental side of things, I, I don't. I have never seen someone be successful in business without having mm. um, some mentors around them, even if it was unintentional. Um, you know, and often, you know, when I end oh, up great. in coaching calls with people and they tell me they're really, really struggling, and I ask that question, you know, do you have some people you've placed around you? Do you have some mentors? And the answer is no. Mm. Um, you know, I just, I just want to ask you how. Do you, and, and I'm sure that you can probably give a, a quite a strategic answer on this now given your, your past, but how do you strategically place the right people around you now mm. to mentor you so that you can be successful? Again, it's another really great point and a great question, Sam. Um, back then, you're right, it, it, it was dumb luck. And, and for me, it was more the, the com compassion uh, of the people that were around me who knew my background and, and mm. knew where I was coming from, and they were gentle mentors. You know, they they knew that I was probably more fragile than I would have admitted, and they could see below yeah. that. But they led by example, and that was amazing. Yeah. They they showed me how to be a better person um, because that that was a great skill set. Even giving me a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence was just this subtle yeah. little thing. And when I started to read it, I, I I got the bigger message of what he was trying to say. And, and, and yeah. I understood it changed my life without a doubt. I think mm -hmm. uh, over the years, what I've seen though, and, and certainly the advice that I give to my clients and, and what I've worked at is we need different mentors at different stages of our life. And, and yeah. we don't, I don't think it's healthy to have the same mentor for your entire life. Um, and, and no. I think knowing, knowing what we need is a great start. And then having a really respectful relationship with a mentor, uh, I, I think a lot of it has to come from you as the individual have got to be wise enough to know your strengths and your weaknesses, what you're good at, what you're not. And, and, and I think mm. you, you've got to be really open and listen. Now, I think a great thing about a mentor relationship is you still got to have the strength of character to make your own decisions, which might mean you disagree with a mentor and a great mentor is going to go, hey, that's okay. You know, it's your call. It's your circus. Mm. You do what you like. Um, but it's always respectful. And, and, and I think. Yeah. One thing that everyone needs to do is to mentor someone else because I think when, oh, when you're oh, mentoring yeah. others, whatever that looks like, you get a much greater appreciation of the mentoring mm. relationship and you become a better mentee when you mentor someone else. Yeah, and and, and so we think, true. oh, what have, I, what have I got to do? Well, you know, what, what, what wisdom have I got to share? There isn't anyone, yeah. there's a single person listening to, to this show who wouldn't have wonderful skills or a unique superpower or something that yeah. there isn't someone who needs them to be able to mentor, whether it be life Absolutely. skills, whether it be business skills, whether it be mm -hmm. teaching someone to, to do something specific. I mean, I look back at those mentors. They weren't all business mentors. They were really predominantly life mentors teaching someone yeah. who was a bit broken how to perhaps survive in the world a bit more... Um, I, I think that that's which gave me that what I needed then to do the next part of my life. And it seems yeah. like, you know, each time you need someone else, you move along. And I've, cause I've mentored many, many people myself now. 
and and mm. I and I know that it, it's a really important relationship and one that I treat very seriously as well because of that. Yeah, it's a very humbling thing to mentor someone, um, but also be strong enough to know when that relationship needs to end because otherwise it yeah. becomes a dependency more than a you know a mentor yeah, relationship. Yeah, so true. So, mm. Yeah. And I like what you said about people going through, you know, different stages. And, of course, you know, this is the thing I, I totally agree with you to recognise um, is, you know, when when you're going through those journeys or and when you're moving on to that next stage in your journey. But also, you know, if, if you are the mentor as well to recognise that. Um, I just want to clarify with you too, you know, there is a difference between a mentor and a coach. Mm. Can you clarify that for our listeners? Sure, sure. I, for, for me... Um, whether it be mentoring or coaching, I mean, I've done both in a paid capacity, but, but I, but I really think coaching is much more of the, it's a commercial arrangement. You, you are really, you're helping someone, let's say in a business sense to, um, I, I'm a book writing coach. So, so I work with someone, I teach them how to write and publish a book. You know, it's a commercial transaction, but I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm there to coach them through that process and what they need to do. Mentoring. Um, for me, is often done um, more so about um, someone who is perhaps, you know, wanting career mentoring or, or they might be in a role where they're a working in a not-for-profit or it might be, it doesn't really matter what that looks like, but it's more yeah. where you're an advisor to them. So, so you're yeah. not doing, yeah. the, the relationship is, is different, you know, uh, I think. I'm not sure if that's a good definition of the two. I, I think there's quite a bit of overlap at times. Um, yeah. And we've all gone through stages. Do I want to be called a mentor or a coach? It's just that now yeah. we understand the commerciality of coaching a lot more. And, and I'm very much project focused, outcome focused for coaching, etc. I, I find mentoring is more of giving wisdom and advice along the way. I'm not there yeah. to do it for them, yeah. drive them, whatever, not accountability or any of that kind of stuff. It's just to help yeah. guide people. Yeah. Mm. I for sure would have seen coaching as much more structured than Me mentoring, mm. which is more meeting people where they're at at that time. And I would have also probably thought of mentoring as being more holistic and, and you know, around every area mm. and not just necessarily. Because one of the things I know with coaches uh, in the past, and I am a huge advocate for always having a coach or mentor or somebody around you that helps to keep you accountable and keep you, um, you know, on the path and, um re-steer you sometimes and call you to account sometimes when you need to be. But, um, you know, they don't, they're not necessarily there to look at your balance, you know, look exactly. at, um, yeah. you know, how, how are you coping with, you know, the balance of family and business? Um, whereas a mentor is more someone who I feel can come in and sort of share the full, here's my experience, here's what I've done and, and you know, here's how, uh, you know, I would support or encourage you in that space too. Mm. So um, sometimes- But that's just- Oh, I think it's a great it's a great take. I mean, I, I have a couple of people that I that I mentor, and um and and we have a once a month phone call, and, and realistically, they're CEOs of companies, and mm. and quite typically, they're um it's not commercial, it's purely it's a friend thing. I might do work for the company, but it's not related. And we get on the call, we do a one hour call, roughly. And, and it's really, you know, what's your challenge? What's your, what's your biggest challenge at the moment in what you're doing? And we just talk yeah. that through and, and it can be personal or it could be business. And, and my mm. role is, is really to, to prompt conversation, prompt thinking, yeah. challenge where they're at with their views. And the aim being at the end of that one hour, they can go and make their own decision, you know, yeah. based on, on our conversation or go and get more data if that's what they need. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. And uh, look, we've gone a little off track here, but I do want to come back to something else you said earlier, and that was that poverty mentality, which, man, oh, man, I think that is um, is probably one of the biggest hurdles of, of almost any business owner or any entrepreneur I've met, whether you are in direct selling and you're running a business um, that you know, you're doing with the assistance of a company or whether you've gone out and done something on your own or a bit of both. Um, this definitely has been, um, you know, was was one of my biggest hurdles and probably that of Greg's as well, especially early on in the business. And it leads often to, you know, the one thing that um, you talk about, and I've got your book right here, which a funny story about this I'll talk about in a moment, but undercharging mm. um, and not feeling that you are of value mm. to your, your customers. Um, and there's a couple of things that I just... I loved, um, you know, through reading your book that I was like, yes, it just felt like I was constantly fist pumping going, yes, I, this is exactly right. This is so true. And the thing about poverty mentality is that most of us don't know we have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you really hit the nail on the head in the book where you talk about, and, and I was reading through, you, you put some dot points in there of if you've got a poverty mentality, here are some of the things you'll be experiencing. And I was like, Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can totally see all of that and recognize that. And so, you know, do you want to just quickly talk about sure. what that is and what some of those things might be um, that could be getting in your way? And they, they really are things that we can, in fact, mm. control, which is the beautiful part of it at the end of the day. It's such a big thing, isn't it, Sam? And, 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 and I've got to say thank you for, you know, pointing that out. I, I mean, we, we get a poverty mentality. It, it comes generally we inherit it. You know, uh, yeah. I always say I spent 17 years of my life being told that I have no value and the rest of my life trying to prove otherwise. But in, mm. in my business, when I bought the business, uh, because I didn't value myself and, and, and I would, my, my belief system was based on lack of worth. So you can't charge what you're, what you're truly worth. That doesn't even fit into the scale. But you think that everyone wants cheap. You think that everyone yeah. wants to negotiate. And we see that with people who discount before anyone even asks. We see that with people yeah. who their only business strategy is to be the cheapest. And, and you, and you mm-hmm. look at that and go, wow, like um, that's amazing. We, we've all got our different um, views on, on what's a lot of money or what's not a, mon- a lot of money, uh, poverty yeah. kind of our line, all that kind of stuff. Um, but what I do see with a lot of businesses that have this, it, it, the businesses – really show the poverty mentality because they're really successful financially because they just don't charge enough for what it is that they do because they yeah. don't believe that people are going to pay. So they're, they're, they're dealing with, with fiction, not with fact. I, I don't think they're going to pay. So we're, we're, our pricing is based on what I think you can afford, not what I think mm. I'm worth for you to pay for. And, and so, yeah. so we end up with this poverty mentality, which tells us customers won't be able to afford it. Um, if I charge that, no one will buy. I'm not really worth that amount. Everyone else is better than me, you know, like they can charge more. Um, you know, all, all, all of that internal talk, which keeps our pricing down. So in the dive shop for me, everything had to be cheap, um, like the cheapest gear you could get because I believe that that's what people wanted. Cheap, yeah. cheap gear. Terrible gear. I Like I, I cringe at thinking about even selling it. Um you, the conversations were always about money and price. Yeah. It was it was never about value. It was never about um, understanding 
you know, safety in that instance. Like that's a pretty, it was a, yeah. when I learned to value myself and I learned how to sell, my conversation was about, do you want to use the cheapest crap that, you know, that people can use, you know, or do you want to use the best equipment that I use? And, and I never yeah. sold a cheap set of dive gear ever again, but I had to have someone come and kind of hit me on the head. Yeah. But, I, but I see it when I, I go into a shop and I'll, I'll say, how much for that? And they'll say, oh, $20, but I can give it to you for 15 I know, and I'm going, yeah. I didn't ask for a discount. I, you know, it's not barley. <laughs> I would have paid the 20 I, I, yeah. I'm having to pay the 20 But poverty mentality, yeah. the other thing with it, left unchecked and unaddressed. And you know if you've got it, right? Like people know if they've got it. We get very comfortable with it as well because we get comfortable in the struggle. You know, a business that doesn't make any money, as a business owner, it's often like, oh, I work really hard, long hours, and, and I'm, you know, yeah. the struggle becomes the norm. Because really, I, I work with businesses and say, you're not charging enough. And they will give me every reason on earth why they can't charge more. Every reason, yeah. every reason. And there'll be 20 reasons why, oh, the economy, people want to pay more, the competition, the dirt, and I say, okay, yeah, they're all great, great reasons not to charge more. The more reasons you give me not to charge more, the more reason and more important it is that you do charge more. And, yeah. and, and it, you've got to shock people out of it a little bit. And nine times out of ten, when I work with someone to change that thinking, they say to me, why didn't I do this ten years ago? Why, yeah. why didn't yep. I charge what I was worth, you know, all those years ago? And, and it's because it's so ingrained in us. It's, it's one of those very powerful things. And salespeople... Uh, uh, the ones who struggle with poverty mentality, creatives, you know, creatives, mm. artists, designers, musicians, all those kind of people struggle yeah. with it. Um, you know, some industries definitely more, and it's more personality type than industry type, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that brings up a, a, an interesting question. And because uh, there's so many different ways that you can analyze personality types, but, you know, can you, you know, shed a little bit of light on that? Are there certain personality types that struggle with it more than others that you can rattle off the top of your head? It's, I don't necessarily think, for me, that I would look at it and say it's a personality type. I, I, I do think, though, it's if you know the relationship with someone... It's a behavioural, yeah. And the, the, the behaviour, but also their relationship with money when they're a kid, you know, what yeah, their parents... Yeah. I, I did a, um, a mentoring program in South Australia a few years ago, and we did a workshop with a couple of hundred school kids aged, I think it was eight to 12. And one of the ladies that was presenting at this thing, I know a great bunch of kids, she talks about money and kids' attitudes towards money. And she puts up a yep. slide, and it's just a, a photograph of a whole pile of money. And she just gets the kids to yell out, what does this mean to you? Anything. Just yell it out. And, and it was it was amazing. So what do the kids yell out? Anger, fighting, mum and dad wow. blowing, you know, um, bad, um, greedy, you know, like this is what these kids are yelling out. Yes. This is what money means to them. Mm-hmm. So their relationship with money is unhealthy at, at yeah. that age. And I, this was in a regional part of Australia. And I, and I was asking this later, so what's, is that just because it's regional, it's a bit tougher out here? She said exactly yeah. the same response in Sydney, in the middle of a capital city. It's the same response everywhere. And, and she said, and that's where, again, kids are developing their, their relationship with money, the guilt, the art, you know, like mum and dad fighting or what single parent struggling with money, hearing that bills, the, the angst of it. Yeah. I mean, and I 
grew up in that environment as well, a lack of money mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah. fear around money. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. if you didn't have enough money, you would be homeless. You would be whatever, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever that yeah. kind of translated to. Um, and so whilst it's not a personality type, I do think it, it's, it's definitely um, a behavior, you know, it's, it's yeah, history. Yeah. It's an experiential thing. Mm. And, yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I grew up in a very similar situation where uh, finances were insanely tight. And my dad was also a business owner, entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I remember uh, walking into his shop one day and it was just as I was reading your book, it was making me think of this moment where, you know, I as a – I must have been, you know, eight or nine years old. I thought he was crazy stupid because he had this stuff on the shelves. He was a photographer and he owned a um, – a camera house so he had you know photography equipment and he was complaining that you know he hadn't sold any of his cameras and then he bought all of this stock that was just sitting on the shelves and I was looking at the stock and I uh there was another photography shop just up the road and I as a nine-year-old decided to go look at the photography shop up the road realized that dad's stuff was just ever so slightly more expensive than theirs mm. And I said to him, if you mark it down and make it cheaper, you'll sell more. And then when you sell more, you make more money because it's about the volume mm-hmm. versus it is about making the profit on the item. And he was trying to explain to me that it's not as simple as just make a tiny profit off one thing. Um, but, you know, I was like, how dumb can you be? Yeah, like, I don't yeah. get it. I don't get it. You know, you just sell more and and make more profit. And, uh, you know, that to me translated as more work, which was a no-brainer. Just work harder. Mm. Just work harder. And, um, you know, when I went into business and one of the things that was really interesting and I saw, you know, the repeat of this in my own behavior, I started uh, doing coaching calls, social media coaching calls. And, you know, all everyone wanted was one-on-one. Everyone just wanted one-on-one calls. That's what I thought, mind you. That was my perception. And I thought, well, I have to give them what they want. Um, and so anyone that wanted a one-on-one, I would do that with them. And of course you start doing it, you get more and more of it. And I was charging at that time, this would have been probably five, six years ago, $100 a session. <laughs> and uh, I thought, I cannot, I cannot charge, you know, as it was, I wanted to keep it under 100 because the 100 for me was like this big, Threshold, right. you know, ceiling. It was like, can't charge more than $100 for an hour. Like, that's insane. You know, here I am thinking about an hourly rate <laughs> of a typical person that's working at a, you know, any, any local business, thinking that's insane. I can't, I can't charge more than $100 an hour. No one's going to pay that. And I, at the time, I remember ringing my business coach because I'd been doing this for a few months and, and she said, how are you doing? And I said, I am not doing well. And she said, why not? The thing is, I said, I'm doing eight coaching calls a day, every day, six days a week. Exhausted. And I don't have any time to work on my business. I am, you know, and there it can be really super exhausting doing these one-on-ones mm. all the time. And I said, I'm not even taking a lunch break, let alone doing anything else. I said, I'm not growing the business. I'm not marketing myself. I'm not doing anything. But I can't turn the business down because I just have to work harder to make money to keep the business going in the first place. Mm. And she just said to me, what are you doing she said, put your price up. She said, are you enjoying working with all of these people? And I said, half of them are people I hate working with. Yeah, yeah. And they complain about everything I, you know, not complain about everything. I know, they're, I know what you mean. They're difficult. And it's so funny because I'm, I through reading your book, you actually had a, a, a chapter on this. Where you talked about working with your dream customer. Exactly. And, you know, the therapist put, doubled the price. And I was like, this is exactly what happened to me. My business coach said to me, Sam, I want to get you to $300 an hour as a starting point, like minimum. 
And I nearly threw up. I was like, there's no way. It's not going to happen. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come halfway there because I, I have to lose some clients because I just simply can't keep going like this. So I went to uh, $200 a session and I, I seriously, it was one of the hardest days when I had to ring people and tell them this because I it was a barrier in my head only. Mm-hmm. Half the people said to me, we can't believe you didn't do this sooner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I ended up, of all of the clients I was working with, I lost one, one of them. So I ended up within the next six months had to go up to $300 mark um, and I, I had the tiniest drop off. It didn't actually fix the problem. All it did was meant I was making <laughs> making more money out of the problem. So it wasn't very long before I learned that group coaching was a much better fit for me. But it's really interesting that concept often is in our own heads and, and you Completely. really hit the nail on the head with that. Well, I, I think that also others are better able to see your value. You, you know, like yeah. like we, we get caught up in our own thing and, and I'm sure your business coach would say, you know, Sam, you should be charging $500 now. And you go, oh, again. Yeah, well, it's, it's- you know, like all, all, it's totally changed. All, like a thousand dollars a month, you fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like that's the standard going rate for a couple of sessions. It's, and it's, you know, it's such and thinking, a, how did I go from that to this? It just it, it, it's such a normal. I, I experienced that a lot um, with being a speaker. You know, without a doubt, that mm. for me was was yeah. a shift because again, you you theoretically you paid a lot of money for being a speaker. Um, that <laughs> excuse me that that you go. Without taking the logistics of the fact that you spend a lot of time learning and pre- preparing all the rest of it, because yeah. you get paid a lot of money to do a one-hour keynote and uh, or a mm. one-hour presentation, and and when you put your rates up, like I think the the biggest hurdle is to go from being a free speaker to a paid speaker, and and I think my first yeah. speaking job was like two hundred and fifty dollars. It's like yes, two hundred and fifty dollars. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and it was a very interesting thing because you go, well, no one else will ever pay that much. Um, but the same yeah. applies down the line. If you charge five thousand or ten thousand or whatever your fee might be, when you put your fee up, you go, well, "Okay, well, no one will ever book me now." And then someone books you. You go, "Oh my god, someone!" Mm-hmm. Bo-. And you go, "Well, it'll only ever be one job that I get paid ten grand for." And then someone else books you, and you kind of go, yep. "Oh, okay." And I'm constantly giving advice to other people, whether they be speakers, yep. so I'm coaching writers, co- you know, other coaches, whatever it might be. And my first thing is. Put your prices up. Put your price, up. and we have to do the yeah. battle. You know, I, I worked with a solicitor recently, and w- and we put all of her prices up around what she does. She generated an extra three hundred thousand dollars in her business in one year, right? Oh with God. not one extra cent of costs. So imagine what yeah. three hundred grand on your bottom line, straight onto the bottom line. Over the next yeah. three years, she buys a million dollar house by putting her prices up with no kickback from customers, no pushback. All she did, she was great at what she does. She just started to charge more in the ways that she could. But but it was yeah. such a battle to get her to do that because, mm. oh, you know, all the inner self-talk it's, again, you know? Yeah, I hear you. And it's really interesting because the the shift, you know, the amount of times that I've had this argument. <laughs> oh, I bet. From the other side and, you know, been that person going, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. And, of course, as a speaker, you know, I, I had to make that same transition, Andrew. So going from I'll do free, uh, you know, if we can promote a course or something at the end of it uh, or get a recommendation from you and then moving into not only charging but having to actually make money out of it because what people don't realise, like you said, is the learning and preparation rehearsal Phenomenal. and then travel and time out that goes into to speaking at events. But it's really interesting because I remember having this argument with my coach 
about that. And you know, th- there was that like I- I'm gonna I'm gonna quote the price you're telling me to once, and if it doesn't work, I can yeah. go back to what I was yeah. doing. <laughs> you know, the, the I'd never had a proposal accepted faster than that one time. Mm. And the way that they treated us was so different because suddenly they could see we valued us, therefore they valued us. And it's it, it just Great really point. showed me mm. the difference that we make to that relationship, not the other way around. And uh, wonderful point. The, the other part about that whole thing is when people start to charge what they're worth, and I, and I talk about that obviously, that, that when you start to charge more, you are going to lose customers. Your business is going to drop. Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt yeah. that you're going to have a dip and, and, and you're going to lose some customers, but it's always the customer's you don't want, you shouldn't have, that yeah. you need to lose. You kind of clear yeah. the dead wood, to use a terrible term, yeah. but that is it. And you make room for better clients. You make room for better customers. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think um, when it comes to putting up your price and charging more, I, I really encourage people to go to it, go into it with your eyes open and say, yes, mm. it takes courage. You've got to overcome the self-talk. You've got to limit the... The negative stuff that you they can't afford it they'll lose all my customers all of that stuff um you got to move beyond that you got to accept that they're going to be people who go oh my god you're 200 now sam instead of 100 well i don't think i'm going to be you know blah 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 yeah. you got to learn to say awesome thank you so much for your business today i get it sorry this is my new business model great it's the yeah. hustle of easter see you later but, and and then you all of a sudden attract a new group of clients that again exactly as you said sam they respect you, they value all the other stuff prepared to, to pay you accordingly, but they then refer other people like them. Yeah. And, and so yeah. all of a sudden your your entire customer base changes. And and mm. because I'm an advocate of this as a model, like in my business, all of my customers absolutely respectful, unbelievably respectful. And I charge a lot for what I do. They um mm. the the you know the, the, there's I look at my calendar and I, and I smile. I love my calendar because I'm only dealing with people that I really enjoy working with yeah. who, who do mm-hmm. what, I, you know, what, what I coach them to do, who, who, who perform, who are respectful, who, 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 who are prepared to pay me what I'm worth and still say to me, Andrew, you don't charge enough, you know, and, and yeah. for, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and everything changes. Everything changes yeah. in your business when you get to that stage. But it takes a bit yeah. to get there. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's yeah, a bit of a path. Does. It's, it really is a bit of a path and it is, a, I, I sort of feel like it's chipping away at a block. But as, as long as you're moving forward, um, you're moving forward. Um, I didn't realise that for the first two years in business when I was alone in the business, I, w- I thought I was making money. It turns out I was losing money. I just didn't realise it because I was trading my time and I didn't. I was treating my time as though it wasn't worth mm, money. That's right. And you know, for I was looking at it as though, well, if I just do the work, you know, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't uh, delegate tasks because I thought it's cheaper if I do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize till later on. And again, it took a mentor to point this out to me. If you're doing those tasks that are not your gifting, that are not moving your business or, or growing your business, yep. you're, you're costing yourself money. Time is the only thing that we can't get back. Mm. We can get money back. We can get more money, but we cannot get more time. And so, you know, that was just such a big learning for me. But one thing that really um, I still remember about that time with the coaching, it's so funny 
Uh, and I'm talking about the coaching calls that went from $100 to $300 mm. eventually. But when I made that first jump to 200 isn't it funny how we've got such a negative bias because even to this day, the only com- – I know what the outcome was, but the only conversation I actually vividly remember was the one that said, no, that's too expensive. Mm-hmm. I remember the face of the guy. I remember the conversation. I remember thinking this is not my target customer in any way, exactly. shape or form, exactly. and I know that it's okay and I'm going to let the guy go, and yet that's the one conversation I remember all of the other conversations didn't stick because they stayed on. They well, were happy. And, and they weren't a part of your script, whereas he was a part of – he was what you expected. Everyone's going to yeah. go, oh, my God, Sam, it's too much. You know, yeah. I, I can't do that. And and so mm. that was the one that you were looking for. Almost to say, see, I told you so. It's going to be oh, too yeah, expensive. Yeah. So, so we blank <laughs> – Validating what I thought was exactly. going to happen anyway. We blank out the rest, right? You know, interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, to your point, though, another interesting part about that that I know, again, one of the first things I do when I start working with someone is I, I, I want to know what the financial position of their business is. I, I want to yeah. know, like, do they know? Do they know if they're yeah. making money or not? One of the things that just constantly, constantly amazes me is how many people don't know whether or not they're making money. But B, how many people are really busy and they're, they're, they're not making any money? Like, they mm. really are fully booked, to use the term, you know, like, oh, my God, business yeah. is great. How much are you making? Well, we're not making any money. And you're kind of going, mm. you know, are you a not-for-profit? You, you, you know, like seriously. <laughs> Most businesses operate like charity. More than we, we think. And I, I look at that and go, mm. but again, there's a bit of learned helplessness in there. They get used yeah. to the struggle. I've been in that space. You're used to the struggle. You're used to the thing. And again, you keep telling yourself all of these things. So it's all cheap, cheap, cheap. Cheap customers attract cheap customers. Cheap customers yep. refer their friends who are cheap customers. So you end yeah. up with this whole kind of, you know, difficult cycle to break out of because mm. you're comfortable with it. You're like the elephant with a rope around its leg. You've learnt that I can't move because that's what it is. So your inner talk is there. All day long you're having cheap customer conversations. They've all got a poverty mentality. So whenever you're coaching someone with a poverty mentality and you've got a poverty mentality, mm. you could imagine you, no one's getting out of that. You know, like you, yeah. you're just going around and around in a circle. So you've got to shock people out of it almost, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. they've got to get 100%. desperate enough. And for me in the dive shop, I got desperate enough to change. I was going broke. I was losing money. I was heavily in debt. You know, realistically, I was I was either something dramatic had to change or I just walked away from it and, and would yeah. go bankrupt. And, uh, and, and there was no way. And ironically, I laugh at this. Back then, this is 1983 or something like that, something like that. I, I, um, I was charging $295 for a dive course. I saw a photo of my dive shop the other day and on the window is $295 for a dive course. I drove past a dive shop here in Hobart the other day. It had a sign <laughs> on the window saying dive course is $295. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and I, you know, tell me, well, tell me how, much, how good a shape that business is in. In reality. Yeah, I was going to say, did you just feel a little tempted to walk on in there and show them that? Photo? I, I, I know, I know, because because that my book that book started all that time back there with someone coming in yeah. and a, a guy off the street basically saying, you know, you're going broke. I can tell, you know, and I'm going, wow. no, no, I'm not. Yeah. Everything's fine. And then you're going, dude, you know, I tell them all the way, you know, you know, like this is a business that's in big trouble, and uh, and the problem is. Yeah. You know, you're too cheap. You're not making. You're not selling any gear. It's all low margin. Yeah. Rah, rah. And and it was the transformation required for me happened out of desperation, and, mm. and I changed everything. 
You know, we became yep. the most expensive dive shop in Sydney. We we charged more. We got rid of all the cheap gear. We we became the most expensive, but we became the best. And that's that caveat. And, yeah. You're going to be the and most expensive. Was... You've got to be the best. Yeah, and I love that. That's almost like first thing in your book too. And we'll talk about this book in a little minute because I want to, you know, this was how you and I mm, met was through met. So we're going to talk about this in a sec. But uh, Andrew's book, Someone Has to Be the Most Expensive, Why Not Make It You?, um, you know, funny story, great. We're on our plane to America. Uh, a lot of our listeners know we were in America, uh, recently. Um, the first time I spoke to you, we were about to head That's away. Right. And since then, we've been back. <laughs> so it's been quite a whirlwind at our end. But I, I look over, um, at Greg and we always carry, we're, um, bad habit. We carry a lot of books with us. We don't get through them all, but we've always got this good intention to read at least two or three books every trip. And Greg um, was was on the money. He he like went through multiple books that trip, and um, I think that's because we had the four kids with us, by the way. And if he had his nose in a book, I was you know <laughs> entertaining the kids. So anyway, he turns around, and he goes, "Oh my gosh!" He goes, "This book because we've got a, a library. Um, I I'm I've decided that reading and and buying books are two different hobbies. I agree, and I." <laughs> I have got a, a bookshelf after bookshelf. I love buying books and um, I've actually created a little library that everyone in our, our office suite can just walk past and, and borrow a book at any time because I really believe in in educating people and personal development, et cetera. And so um, your book was sitting on the shelf and this particular day Greg had picked it up and he had no idea uh, that you and I had had a conversation. He turns around to me on the plane. He goes, oh, my gosh, this book, this dude is amazing. He goes, you should get him on the podcast. <laughs> and I said, well, it's so funny you say that because <laughs> if you open the front cover of the book, <laughs> we've already had a conversation. That's why I've got it. So um, it's such a great book, but I, I, and I highly recommend that Thank our you. listeners definitely get hold of this. But, um, you know, what I love about this is you talk about not just, it's not just about money. It's not just about, you know, being the most expensive. It's about being the best. And that brings me to my next question, which is one of the ways to make sure that you are the best and also to build, um, you know, build your business and your brand up is to have credibility. And, um, you know, this is another thing that you speak about. So I really want to talk about credibility mm -hmm. for a minute because it was one of the reasons you, you and I came into contact with each other in the first place. Can we just talk about why it is important, first of all, to establish credibility in your business? Sure. And then how do you do it? And, and <laughs> And I know it feels like an obvious question, and it feels like one of those things. Sure, you've got to be credible, don't you? You know, um, I, I look back at it in a couple of different ways. I, I, I think for me, uh, my credibility is is my personal brand. You know, whether mm -hmm. it be my personal business brand, it's me, Andrew Griffiths, is my 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 brand, and um, it is my it's my number one asset. Um, my yep. my credibility, my reputation, my brand. Is so important to me, Sam. Um, I've spent a lot, a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of uh, done a lot of things to build that 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 brand, and and that translates to everything from from my website to how I, you know, how I treat people, how I turn up, how I deliver what I deliver, the quality of my everything for me is about my personal brand, and yeah, and the reason that's so important to me. Is because I, I believe that every 
whenever someone's looking to do business with us or do there's some kind of imminent transaction of some sort, there's a risk analysis that is happening. And that risk analysis is a potential customer is deciding whether or not it's a safe bet to buy from me. Now, a lot of my clients over the years have been very big organisations, you know, as I said before, from the European Union to the Hewlett-Packard, CBSs, Hertz, all the banks. All, I, I've worked for all of those kind of organisations. And many years ago, I realised that if I was ever going to do business with those people, I had to have this really credible brand. Spent $25,000 on my first website, you know, back when, you know, that was a lot of money on a website, but it had to be world class. It had to be this incredible, you know, credible site. I started writing books, you know, I, I, I my books, I, I work really hard to leverage and promote my books. And of course, you know, I, I saw what changed in writing one book. My first book was a book about marketing. Everything changed. Oh my God, the, the amount of work I got as a result of writing one book, that's when again the penny dropped and I went, wow, everyone looked at me differently. All of a sudden the, the, the media yeah. want to talk to me about marketing. I'm getting phone calls from Telstra, a big telco over here. Um, can you do a, a, a series of presentations to 38 cities around Australia? I didn't even know we had 38 cities in Australia. You know, like I, I'm... You know, like I, I noticed a relationship between my credibility and my brand. The more I built my cred, the bigger the projects were. And then, of course, they just moved to international, etc. So, I, the, for me, credibility is everything because it, you're taking the risk away from the potential customer. And I, I don't think that matters whether you're running a cafe and the cafe is clean, it's fresh, it's energetic, there's a big smile, you look around, it's loved, it looks professional, it's got all those things. It's safe to buy from as opposed to the dingy, rundown, smelly joint where the person yeah. walks in with a fag hanging out their mouth and they're kind of grumpy and all the rest of it, you go, well, and they're empty because that's what those businesses are like. So so I think when it comes to doing business, the first thing that, that, that I again try to encourage people is, is you've got to establish enormous credibility and and whether that yep. comes from writing books branding testimonials um you know media exposure if, if that's the kind of business you're in um you know who you partner with you know all of those kind of things all go to building your credibility as you know sam um but mm -hmm. i work at that stuff all the time like uh yeah. you know I, i've got thousands not, not hundreds thousands of testimonials from people, I, I um, just uh, again my my media logos. I've got hundreds of media logos from from media that I work with, and every and I'm constantly refreshing. I'm 56. I I don't do less of this now. I do more of that credibility because I think that we live in a world where our relevance is. We're always in a battle for relevance. There's always someone who's going to come along and do something better, smarter, cheaper, whatever it might be our credibility is going to be the thing that will future-proof us more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so important. And I know one of the things that some of our listeners might be thinking right now is, well, I, you know, I'm not interested in writing a book and I don't have time to write a book and it's not really my skill mm. set. But you've mentioned a number of other ways to establish credibility and, you know, testimonials is a really important one of those. You know, when somebody says, hey, you know, I really – really loved uh, what you did or I appreciated what you did or, um, you know, I've had a great experience with your business or your products, 
getting them to write that down. And most people are pretty happy to do it. Um, anytime anyone says to me on the phone, oh my gosh, I loved your 14 day challenge. I'm like, would right. you mind yeah. sharing? You know, today I had a conversation with someone who said, oh my gosh, we finished your 14 day challenge last week. She said, I'm blown away. She said, you guys told us we needed to use business pages. And I was so skeptical. She said, I just had someone brand new that I've never met before reach out yesterday. I converted them to a customer and then within 24 hours, they've joined my team and they're now building a business. I was like, you need to write that down for me. And, you know, it's really easy to just go, oh, great, thanks and move on. But people are more likely, and that's, you know, where third-party validation comes in, mm. people are more likely to listen to what someone else says about you than what you say about you. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, and, know, and directing that, so Sam, you know, that, that, that's what you're saying there is, is a point. Like, I mean, for me, what's great about that is you're capturing something specific, but I think what we mm. do is we go, Sam, could you write a testimonial for me? Now, the average person doesn't really know how to write a testimonial. They, no. they, they mm. go, well, you know, Andrew was a great guest on the podcast, you know, and that's yeah. lovely, but it doesn't really help me. You know, it's like, oh, Andrew was the most organized, professional, you know, guest on the show. You know, he was all, he was on the show too early. He was easy to work with, you know, rah, rah. So what that means is we've got to brief people. And, and when you're looking yep. for a testimonial, so uh, for me, whatever, whatever, whichever one of my services might be about, I'm very specific. So say it's a speaking client. I'll go back to them and say, look, could you possibly give me a testimonial? What I'd love is is for you to say, why did you decide to use me as a speaker? Um, you know, yeah. what was the feedback like? Um, and would you recommend me for other speaking jobs? You know, it's a bit of a baited question, of course. But but that, or it might be um, someone will, will I, I want some more testimonials for a retreat that I'm running. And, and I'll, yep. I'll go out to someone and say, okay, you came on the last retreat. Why did you decide? Tell me three things that you took out of the retreat. So rather than say just give me a testimonial, I really try to dive in deep and, and direct it a little bit. And that way you get this amazing range of testimonials that don't, aren't all just Sam's awesome, Sam's awesome, Sam's awesome, yeah. Sam's awesome, which yeah. is fabulous, but not that helpful once you've just got to be clear, if anyone them. wants to send those, they're welcome. Exactly, but. exactly. Send me, <laughs> send plenty, but but <laughs> they become less valuable when testimonial after uh, yeah. testimonial says that. And uh, and, uh, yeah. and I think that, as you say, third party validation, we can be smarter about how we do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's funny, back in my corporate days, we used, it used to be part of our job to get testimonials from, uh, from clients. Um, you know, we were required to get five every month. And, you know, that in itself got quite challenging. But what I learned was if you actually um, offered to write it for them, yeah, it's a lot them to easier. sign it. People were so happy to do it. They're like, we love you guys, absolutely. But I just don't have time. It's like, well, I'll tell you what, would you be right if I just wrote a little framework out and I sent it to you? If you're happy with it, sign off on it. Send it back on letterhead, and ninety nine times out of a hundred, they would be so happy to have done that I know. because we were saving them time, and they were helping us all at the same time. <laughs> I know, I know, funny, isn't it? It really, really is. But so, I want to talk about books now. Um, sure. You and I met because uh, a really awesome friend of mine, and of course, one of our um, beautiful guests, multiple time returning guests uh, on the podcast, Keith Abraham. Um, who is also, you know, a, a, a best-selling author and, you know, lots of our listeners are very familiar with him, said, Sam, <laughs> you, when are you writing that book? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been, I've, you know, it's been on my to-do list seriously for like the last 10 years. 
and he said, you've got to talk to Andrew Griffith, Griffiths. So hence we had that first uh, conversation and you are, of course, uh, now a, uh, a book coach mm-hmm. and you coach people into this process, which really excites me because doing this process alone sounds rather daunting. But I want to know, mm. how did you go, you know, because I'm assuming you did not have a coach. No, uh, I, where, I could be wrong, no, but I'm assuming I didn't. you didn't have Working with you for that first book. So, what did that look like? I mean, how did how did what did that process look like for you? Did it come naturally to you? No. How did it come about? Well, you know, as I said, I, I'm a bubblehead. You know, I, I made a living blowing bubbles for 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 a large part of my life. You know, so writing a book wasn't a thing. But I, I got decompression sickness, um, and I was running a I was working for a company, Japanese company in Cairns on the Great Barrier Reef, putting in mm-hmm. pontoons and doing stuff like that commercially. And, um, and I got decompression sickness on a project, so I couldn't dive anymore. And they were a great company, and they said to me, well, we'll retrain you, and they put me into sales and marketing. And, uh, and I resisted it initially, but I finally yeah. took it, big company. When I finally embraced it, th- then all of a sudden it was amazing. I spent five years traveling around the world um, as their international sales manager selling cruises out of wow. Cairns. It was incredible, like, um, and it was amazing, and it was a crash course. They kind of gave me a credit card and a suitcase and said, go and sell us. And, uh, and, and I went, okay. And, and I did that. It was an incredible five years. Had enough after five years, a lot of travel, and I decided to start my own marketing company. So I started my own marketing company. I'd always really been in my own small businesses, and that's really where my heart kind of lay. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I started you know, working with companies offering marketing services. Back then, when we thought it was complicated, and um, and uh, and and what I started to notice was there was a lot of people. I was having the same conversations all day long. People had the same problems. They had the same challenges. And so I started to write a whole pile of fact sheets, which were just like you know how to make a brochure, how to do a sales call, how to how to get paid quicker on your invoices. You know, yep. um, any, you know, marketing. So how to do a letterbox drop. You know, all of those things we did back then. And one day I put them, I had them all up in my office and there was 50 of them. I thought, oh, if I wrote another 50, I could have a hundred. And I thought, oh, maybe there's an idea for like a hundred and one ways to market your business. Yep. And I thought, well, that's kind of a nice idea. So I, I went about, um, writing, putting that together. And, uh, and I reached out to a few friends of mine who are uh, marketing people. I said, what do you reckon about this as an idea? And most of them said, Andrew, you're a nice bloke, but, Really? Who are you to write a book about marketing? You got no qualifications, you know, no mm-hmm. anything. Like, who are you to write a book? And uh, mm-hmm. particularly a book on marketing. And I went, oh, okay. And of course, I ignored them completely. And, and I wrote it anyway because I wasn't trying to say that I had all the answers about marketing. I, I, I was, because I obviously haven't and didn't. But what I did have was, I'd done a lot of marketing and I, and I really got some great results for my clients. And I, and I knew that this stuff worked. And all I was saying, Hey, this is stuff that I've done with my clients. It's worked and might work in your business. That was the premise of the book. 101 ways to market your business written for business owners, not for other marketing people, you know, and I realized that business owners didn't care about marketing. They saw it as a necessary evil. Marketing yes. equals money. So I've got to market. Haven't got money for an agency, so we've got to go and do it ourselves. So got to figure it out. Wrote yeah. a manuscript, and I had a friend of mine who worked for a publishing company. She sent it to her boss for me, which was lovely. And her boss 
called me and said, look, it's not the kind of book that we would want to publish, but I've got a friend in a publisher called Alan and Unwin. I got a phone call. Uh, do you mind if I send it to them? I said, sure. I got a phone call a little a week or two later, and I thought it was a local radio station that were were pranking me in town because they, 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 my receptionist said, oh, there's a publishing company on the line and they say they want to publish your book. They said, no, no, it's just a local radio station because everyone knew that I <laughs> sent it off, small town. Yeah, we'll play. Uh-huh. Hi, uh, Andrew, it's a big publishing company here and, I, and I'll fall for it. So I said, just hang up, just hang up. Anyway, the lady that was trying to call me actually sent a fax saying, Andrew, it really is Alan Unwin and we really do want to publish your book. You know, it's not the local radio station because she could hear this conversation. At which point, like you said, a few internal swear words. And, oh, and, yeah. oh, my God. So anyway, they, they, we had a conversation and another chat there. And he basically said to me, um, he said, look, you know, your writing is terrible, but your content is fabulous. Yeah. We can fix bad yeah. writing, but we can't create great content. And there's a really big yeah. demand for Australian business writers at the moment. And so mm. we published the first book. And the first book was really successful, like extraordinarily successful. And I just, they said they gave me an open contract to publish a book with them every year. And, uh, and I did that, you know, for, I did 11 books with them. I think it was 10 or 11 books wow. with them. Yep. Um, and it was an, a very lucky relationship. It's the biggest, you know, very few Australian authors have 10 books with any publisher. It was quite extraordinary, but I kept the formula simple. Not all of the books worked as well. But, you know, most mm. of them, you know, did really well. I wrote it for the business owners. I kept it really simple. We followed the 101 yep. format. Um, it was about solving problems, not teaching business owners to become advertising executives or this or that or the other. Um, yep. And I learned how to be a good writer. Um, but, yep. but what I learned more so was, was how to leverage, you know, because mm-hmm. after the first book came out, I just assumed that uh, the Ferrari arrives, you know, like, okay, book's out, where's the Ferrari? <laughs> and I rang my publisher yep. going, okay, you've probably forgotten, you know, but, you know, this is the address to send the Ferrari. Now, the book is out. And they, um, they of course, laughed and said, okay, now is when the hard work starts. Yeah. And I went, you, you're thinking, what, hang what on, you talking about? You know, it's like, <laughs> and they said, you got to leverage it. You got to be marketing, promoting it. And I'm going, yeah, really? Like, okay. And I, and I learned how to leverage, promote, market my books. And, and that's really, I'm probably better at marketing and leveraging my books than I am at writing my books, you know, in, in many respects. But I learned how to leverage and I, and I yeah. learned how to use a book to build my credibility, Sam. I learned mm-hmm. how to give thousands of books away. I didn't care, you know, like, cause every yeah. book to me, once I got over this, a book is a, is something to sell. I don't care if I sell them or not. I mean, I've sold a lot of books, but a book to me is a seed. And what I want to do yep. with my book, I don't want to make five bucks out of selling it. I want to turn it into a $10,000 speaking job or a $30,000 yep. coaching package or, a, you know, yep. that's what it is. And I know that the more people who get a copy of my book in my hand, in their hand, that's what it translates to. So yep. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't write books that split the atom. You know, I, I didn't write books that are, that are complicated and tricky. I just wrote really solid books that, that were useful and solved problems. And that formula yep. has worked really, really well for me. Yeah, I love it. So good. So if anyone out there right now is thinking, hey, I've been thinking about this for a while, definitely you want to touch base with Andrew. Absolutely. But, you know, I, the thing too is, you know, writing these days is so much easier than what it used to be. And that, it is. You know, even if you don't, print and publish, you've got the online world as well to test your material and uh, um, 
you know, it, and it, you know, I'm going to say I've taken that time to write. It's quite therapeutic. Wonderful. Um, but, you know, we just don't make time for it anymore. I used to love writing. Mm-hmm. I just, just don't make time for it anymore. Um, but uh, I love that. Now, d- there is one quick question I want to ask you. It's probably not quick, but I want to throw it out anyway. Okay. I know that we have been talking for ages. I feel like we could talk for another two days. But um, I want to ask you this. You talk a lot about um, uh, building your client base, the importance of building your client base. Now, most of our listeners are direct sellers. They've got network marketing, MLM or party plan mm-hmm. businesses, and one of their biggest challenges is building their customer base. Mm-hmm. Have you got some quick tips for them to share with them some ways that they can do this process? Because I know a lot of our listeners get super caught up on hounding and hassling only their family and friends because it's all they know how to do. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to smash this one open a little bit with some suggestions here. Building community is really what that's about, isn't it? You know, it's like, yeah. and, and these days we, we live in a world where there's no shortage of problems. You know, people want things solved. They, they, they want, you know, they're looking for solutions. And one, one of the challenges I think for many people is they go, well, who, who am I to solve those problems? Like who am I to write a book on mm. marketing or who am I to you know, to write content about something or create a blog or or just create content around that kind of stuff. And, and I actually, I have this coaster made up that to me that I, I give out to people on my courses. And and it's, you know, I think it's back to front on there, isn't it? Um, no, I can see it. I can, can see you it. Read no that? one, hang on, hang on, I'm going to move this. No one on the planet has the same experiences, trials, tribulations, realizations, battles, victories, or bazinga moments as you. Use what makes you unique. Oh, I love that. So, so, That's awesome. So this use what makes you unique is what this is, is all about. Yeah. So sharing your your stuff, your realizations, your you know mm. your the the stuff that that again that that you figured out and sharing that with others. I wrote a book about yeah. marketing. That was just me sharing what I'd figured out. So I think community responds really well to someone who really is trying to help someone else. You know, whether it be, oh my God, there's so many um, platforms where you see people are able to build communities. Like you and I both live in Tasmania. Look at some of the Facebook groups that are around moving to Tasmania. It's 30,000 members yeah. in a Facebook yeah. group, 27, 8, 28,000, you know, members. I think if you create great content, if, if you are practical and realistic and go, okay, well, if I'm going to try and help, I'm going to share what I've learned. I'm going to try and t- reach as many people as possible. It's going to take me a while. I'm going to, I'm not going to get a million people following what I do in week one, but build it up over time and build it solidly and look for ways to yeah. engage. Don't get a thousand, you know, a thousand disconnected followers. Who cares? A hundred deeply engaged yeah. people. Amen to that. Change the world. And we're caught up in these bigger numbers. <coughs> Excuse me. I recommend a book um, as well for anyone here. This is a really great book called um, Get Together. It, it's, it's, it's a hard book to get a hold of. It's expensive. It's like 50 or 60 bucks. You get it anywhere around the world. It is a great book on building community. Um, and, and I think that book and another one that I'm a fan of called Content Inc., which you, you may have come across, I'm sh- sure, in there. Again, talk about building stuff. But how I've built my community, again, is a lot through a lot of free stuff, a lot of free webinars, a lot of podcasts, a lot of free content, a lot of frameworks. Like I'll put on a lot of webinars around, you know, book writing stuff and, and just free. No, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just tr- sharing advice. Yeah. I partner really wisely. I'm really careful that when I partner with people that they're, 
they're credible, you know, very, mm -hmm. I'm slow to partner, uh, you know, for me, from that point of view, because again, protecting my brand is my number one thought always. And I've been burnt yeah. a little bit in the past with yeah. partnering badly. <clears throat> so I, I'm constantly doing all of that stuff. And I, I know, and I know that that's all stuff that you would have shared and suggested to people, Sam, over the, the years. But what I find is that people don't, um, <coughs> excuse me, people don't persevere with that. You don't build a community. You don't build a broader reach in a week. And, 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 and this no. is that whole thing that we think, oh, if I do a few posts on Insta, I'm going to get a million followers. You, yeah. You've got to be committed to doing this now as a part of doing business till you don't have a business. So for me, yeah. every day I'm creating content, I'm writing, I'm sharing. And the one driver is, is this going to be of value to my, to my customers, to my community, to my clients, yeah. to my whatever it might be? And, and I use my community, you know, they're, they're my support team, my research department, my enforcers, my, uh, my measure. Whenever I'm going to launch yeah. a new product or service, I don't even do a single piece of work. I just go out and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing a workshop on running retreats. Anyone interested? If I don't get 50 people saying yes, I, I don't even bother spending another minute on it. They're, they're, yeah. they're, that's my research team. So, Yeah. And that, that's actually a, a, a process um, talked about in the book Oversubscribe by Daniel Priestley as well. I don't know if you've read that one. Yeah, yeah I'm good friends with Dan, you know? you know, yeah. Oh, well, um, just one, another one of my favourite books and that concept of, you know, build the, you know, build the, um, uh, the, the demand, create that demand and I love it. It's so good. And, and, and you um, again, you just got to keep working at it. I had this conversation earlier on today where someone said, oh, I'm doing all these posts and, and I'm not getting any traction. I'm not going to bother doing any more. I think you've been doing it for two weeks. You've got an engagement issue. You're just writing one directional content doesn't work. Yeah. You know, so you're trying to, you know, bombard people. Is that really helpful? You know, like yep. people will read it, but they're not going to engage with it because there's nothing to engage. So so we, yeah. we've got to be a little bit smarter about that. And and I think I, I think once you've got the community and, and it's engaged, well, I tell you what, your your life in business has changed. Um yeah. because they, they will, if you do the right thing, you don't try and spend every post selling them something and you're kind of, you know, really smart about it and you treat them with respect, wow, they will, they will be with you forever. And I sell most yeah. of my stuff, 80% of my revenue comes from my community easily. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it is that concept of value first, which is 100% of what anyone listening to me for more than five minutes has heard me preach on this, value, value first. Yeah, it's so, so true. So I love that. Now, that's such a great spot for us to transition this interview into our final segment, my favourite segment, the four fun questions. Now, the first one we may have already ruined. Actually, the first two we may have already The first ruined. four, we've ruined everything. <laughs> we've already jumped ahead. Um, look, you've told us so many great books. My first question is actually what book can you recommend for our Accelerator book list? Now, you've already given us a couple. Have you got one more for us? I, I actually, I have, um, and because... I, like you, I, I have a million books and I, I get sent a lot of books, people for reviews and all my author coaches. I like, I've got 850 people who I've taught to write books. So I've got all of their books. Wow. Um, so, okay. so I've got, um, a, a lot there. So my, my favorite all time is definitely how to win friends and influence people because it changed mm -hmm. my life. But a book that I really loved at the moment is 4,000 weeks. 
And uh, oh, now this one just, do you know, I ordered this last week because one of our team has just said to me, you've got to get this book. I want to read it. We've got a little thing where it's like if our staff want to read any books, they just let me know. I order them. Right. Uh, and she said, get this one in. So I'm keen to get my hands on and, this one. And, and I, you know, I love your philosophy. I, I still think about it and I'm biased because I'm a, an author, but 35 bucks for a book. I look at that and go, I spend 35 bucks a day on coffee and, and crap. You know, $35 <laughs> for, to, to learn yeah. one thing is the cheapest knowledge, yeah. resource on, on the face of the yeah. planet. And, and I'm, I don't understand why people don't have thousands of books. You know, one, one piece. Space, Andrew, space. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do agree. And- Whilst I have a Kindle, I still am really partial to the heart. I love, I just, I'm also a marketing geek. I love uh, covers. I Tact- love ta- uh, titles, the, you know, catchphrases. The yeah, tactile thing. It, right? you, know, you, know, you know, like the, there's, there's a term for the smell of a new book, a Japanese term for the smell of a new book. And there's actually a, a title. There's a, I can't remember what national, what the word is. I must remember. And it's for that pile of books that you haven't read yet. That's actually got a name. The, the, really? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a okay. term for that pile of books, and it's like oh I, my I need goodness. to look that up. <laughs> yeah. I, I I have that <laughs> times ten. I was joking with someone the other day. Um, uh, that uh, another podcast guest we were talking about our book collections because she's she was also an author, and uh, we're talking about the fact that our what our bedside tables look like, and our bookshelves, and our hall table, and our dining table, and our desk. And <laughs> I, I, I if I if I could pan around here, this is my little office. And at home, yeah. my place looks like a Dimmix. And and my last yeah. house, I actually had a room that was a library. It was a four wall thing with a table in the minute. Wow! In the middle. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna heaven. have to get one of those. I think. Well, what was what I'm actually really now laughing at is the fact that when we went to America and we brought the kids with us, we everyone would ask, "Where do you want to go? Like, what do you want to see?" And of course, the first thing you expect them to answer is Disneyland right, Universal. Of course. Yeah. The one place our daughter was desperate to visit and, like, just the, you know, first thing she'd answer was Barnes & Noble. Right. <laughs> I just want to go to Barnes & Noble. And, of course, you know, we all went there and our family spent a whole afternoon just walking around Barnes & Noble, all six of us. <laughs> and, of course, we had to buy another suitcase oh, yeah, yeah, for the way course. home. <laughs> and they're so cheap, the books in America, compared to Australia. I didn't pay. I don't know. I didn't pay attention. I just we walked out, and and Greg had five bags of books. We had to get another suitcase, so the next stop was Walmart for a suitcase, and you know we now need another bookshelf. So, it, it, I, can third I world problem. give you one one quick tip? And I'm sorry, I know we're, we've gone way over time. The best bookstore in America is a, is in Portland, Oregon, and um, yeah, I forget the name of it, but what it is they 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 bought a building like a you know a street building, then they. Fill yep. up with books. Then they bought the building next door, and they just knock a hole in the wall, and you walk through. And now this place is huge. It's like there's a whole building which is like health and well being. There's a whole building which yep. is like you know business and all oh the rest. Oh my of gosh! It. They just kept punching. They holes. just kept punching holes. And the last time <laughs> I was there, I spent four thousand dollars on books. Oh my goodness! Okay, you take the cake. I thought I was bad. I think it was fifteen hundred dollars in postage. 
It was like, oh. it was like literally, I, I was totally got, I was on some kind of book high. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've gone back to yeah. the hotel room going, what was I thinking? Like, what how, was I thinking? Was, and the thing is, the next thing is, I've got to read all I've got to read. Yeah. I got to the point where we had both of our arms full and we had start, started piling the kids up. I ended up having to take photos of books from that point. So I've got about 50 photos of my phone, which are the books on the list. Um, and, you know, every time I have a, a guest or, or somebody that recommends a book, because every book you recommend – don't tell Greg, but every book that gets recommended when I ask that question, of course, gets added to our list. So, you know, I go on, I buy the book, and, but you can't just get one book sent. I've got a wish list in there. So, of course, I throw a couple more in that are in the cart and I, I get around about four books every time we have this conversation. So, you know, every time I do a week of podcast interviews, our, our Amazon orders there, come There's in. 500 bucks in books I've got to buy now. I hear you, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's it's a it's a problem, but it's not a bad. It's a good problem to have, I suppose. So let's move on to the next question. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your favourite quote, Andrew? But you, I don't know if it's what you had there. Have you got another one for us? I have uh, a quote that I that I sprout a lot now is by Alvin Toffler, the author mm -hmm. of Future Shock, the book Future Shock, and the quote is yep. fabulous. It's the illiterate of the twenty first century won't be those people who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. Oh, I love it. I came across that yesterday. I was literally um, came across that yesterday. It's such a good one. I love that. My, I've got it in my um, book. I think I mentioned it in the book. I've used that as a quote. Oh, that's there. probably where I saw it. I was like, where did I see that? I swear. And he just yeah, read that. Yeah, great quote. And that's that's the yeah. key to success now, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, Andrew, if you could have a superpower, any superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, I'd like to talk to animals. Oh, I, that is not one I've had yet. I, I think I'm a, a I'm a frustrated zoologist. I'd like to be the you know next life <laughs> around. I'll be the next David Attenborough. Um, and I've had I feel like that bizarre animal experience. I, I I have incredible experiences <laughs> with animals. I've been attacked by an octopus, held captive in a cabin oh by gosh. a monkey. I've had great whale, dolphins, bear things. I've just <laughs> I, my my life is. I, I, I'll die. Something will eat me at some stage. It's only, it's purely a matter of time. It's just. Yeah. So it's not that they love you. Oh, it's, no, I think they actually hate me for some reason. But this is why you I want to talk them. to them. You want to get to the bottom of this I want to find problem. out. I want to know what the hell's wrong. I'm a nice guy. You know, I don't even. Wow. Have, have you seen the documentary My Octopus Teacher? I, I have, and I've, I've had many octopus encounters, and I tell you, I, I, I think that they've read a lot more into this octopus, you know, than. I, I, as I was watching it, you know, I'm kind of going, man, we used to play with octopus all the time when I was a dive instructor. I, I got attacked by one one day, and I tell you, this thing, there was no beautiful romantic classical music playing in the no, background. No, I know, he's like a, on his chest and <laughs> yeah, yeah. hugging oh my him. God. And, I love yeah. you. I love you. You survived. Yeah. No, this, this was war. Uh, and it, so, and I went, <laughs> I think this has just pushed the limit a little bit. This is an octopus, man. This is an octopus, yeah. so. Oh, wow. Okay. I, you know, it occurs to me, I was laughing at myself last night because you say that. I reckon I'd love to be able to talk to, to plants. Um, I was walking around my nice. garden last night and having conversations. I caught myself doing it going, <laughs> I've officially gone crazy, you know, no. I'm talking to my orange tree, talking to him as I'm tying him up and having a little conversation with him. Well, um, the tying him up part is, is concerning, but, you know, we don't judge. <laughs> we don't judge. He'd fallen. Look, we'd had a bit of rain. He'd kind of fallen over a little bit. 
And, you know, I was out there nurturing him and getting it, you know, staking him and getting him back upright. And I was like, you know, it'll be all right. It's okay. We're going to fix gotta, this. Okay. Got to give him love. Got to give him love. <laughs> this is what happens when you've been in business too long. You officially go crazy and start talking to your plants. <laughs> or or, or right. spend thousands of dollars on books each month. Awesome. <laughs> I think I think we've uncovered some issues here, Andrew. We're going to go into therapy together after this. Uh, last question, I promise. Uh, if you could go back in time and say one thing to your past self, Andrew, what would that be? Uh, I think that would probably be that line that I used before, which would be don't listen to the people who tell you the things or who take great joy in telling you the things that they think you can't do. Yeah, or, yeah. Does yep. that make sense? You know, like, yes, you know, absolutely. over the years, there's certainly I've had lots of people tell me stuff that you, that they think I can't do. And, um, yeah. and, and, yeah. And I think if you listen to those people, it's very easy to, to not do stuff, you know, and that, that's yeah. how we develop poverty mentalities and all the other things is, you know, people that yeah. we perhaps look up to tell us stuff and we kind of go, Oh, okay. Maybe I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough or I'm not this or I'm yeah. not that. Yeah, such a good one. People are so ready and willing to tear other people down to build oh, themselves up, aren't they? So it's such I, a good one. Yeah, I hate, I hate and it. sometimes we don't have the wisdom to know not to listen. Mm, so true. Yeah, mm. very powerful. Look, Andrew, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I know we've gone way over time, but, man, I really think we could keep talking for another couple of hours. Easy. I didn't even get through all of my questions, <laughs> but I just so appreciate you taking this time out and, talking with me but also sewing into our listeners so thank you so much thank you sam it's been a joy and and always happy to come and have another chat to for the for, to answer the next question you know we, we could do this we've got 20 episodes down down the line yeah. but thank thank <laughs> you and, and you've yeah. asked really great questions and i really appreciate that you've really thought through what you ask and and i do a lot of interviews i've done five or six hundred podcast episodes and um, lots of radio, 700 radio episodes, all interviews, all that kind of stuff. And I really appreciate it when I'm working with someone who's a professional who is really taking the time to think about the questions and to dive deep. And I, I thank you for that. I, I really respect you for that as well. Uh, it's not just the same, same kind of questions. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, kudos to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. And again, thank you as well to our beautiful listeners for tuning in. We so appreciate you as well. Um, And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the podcast again next week. But that's it for us. We're going to turn into pumpkins here, Andrew, if we keep talking any longer. So we're going to leave you all to it. Have an amazing week. Uh, Lots of love to you all. And uh, we'll see you on the podcast again next week. Bye for now. See you, folks. If you love this video and you would love more help to improve your direct selling business on social media, then click on the link to join our Facebook group. I look forward to seeing you in there.